We end our collection today uh, on the art of practice. We have been talking about this uh, topic and, and conversations here on Sunday. And in our small groups throughout the weeks, uh, we've been uh, uh, focused on this art of practice, and it certainly is an art. I'll just remind us as we kind of close this down, we begin a new collection uh, next uh, Sunday, but as we close this down, I just remind us that the, the reason that we're talking about this topic, it's important for us as human beings alone, but as Christian human beings, as followers of Christ, to have a sense of practice, because practice is that thing that whatever that thing is that we do, that we consistently do it to a degree that we become effective at it, whether you're practicing guitar or piano or basketball or whatever that thing is, that is the reason that uh, we practice, to get better and to, more, to be more effective. The reason that we would have this conversation as Christians is that there are disciplines to the Christian life. It's not just do whatever you want cafeteria style. We are, we are told, as we've talked about, that we should have a practice in the Bible, that there should be a consistency, and there are purposes behind that, not just so that we gain knowledge, but so that in, in season and out of season that we can speak intelligently about God and answer questions in a culture that has left truth aside or truth has become subjective. It's very important that we have a practice. If we don't practice at all in the Word of God, then we'll just be, you know, uh, we'll be a deer in, in headlights, so to speak, when it's time for us to speak up. We should practice prayer. We talked about practicing grace, practicing gratitude, practicing righteousness, practicing all these different things, gathering last week. So today we're going to end on a topic of all these topics. I think that they're all close to the heart of God, but I believe that this is not only close to the heart of God, but it is the very core of who God is. And it is, a, it is an area that I believe that God operates in and a dimension that he operates in all, all of the time consistently. And so I'm going to invite you to, to look at a very short verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. It's a verse that, that Paul gets uh, right to the point. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, spend a lot of words. In fact, there's only two little words that we're going to focus on here. And these words are such in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. I don't like the word. I like the word practice, but I don't like the word hospitality. Let me tell you why. Over time, it's no secret to us, words change meaning. And so when we look at the word hospitality in our culture, in our English language, what normally comes to mind is that I'm going to invite you over to my house. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to serve you a nice meal so where you come and you're my guest. That, that, that may be what comes to mind. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible certainly uh, uh, addresses that, that dimension of hospitality, but that's not what we're talking about. You might think of the hospitality industry, which includes hotels and transportation and theme parks. That's all uh, entertainment. That's all the hospitality, where at a hotel, strangers become guests, and the guests feel like they're at home. Certainly, there is, there's a measure of that in the Scripture when we're referring to hospitality. But in the context of what Paul is getting at, the meaning in that culture was a lot deeper than what we would think of in our culture as hospitality. 
Therefore, I'm going to do a little play on words as we, as we go along here, just so that we can get back to the original intent of what we're being told that we should practice. You notice that Paul didn't say, hey, be hospitable, because I can be hospitable. I can be hospitable when I'm feeling hospitable. How about you? I can be nice when I'm feeling good. There are times where I'm like, well, I'm not quite sure, but see, this is why Paul says practice. We practice things when we don't feel like practicing. That is the secret of the art of practicing. Many of you know, I've got a music background. I cannot tell you how many days I did not feel like practicing. I couldn't like have this, I wasn't overcome by this feeling. I can't wait to get to the practice room. It's work. I've told this to millions of, well, not millions, many piano students. It's pra- practice is work. Practice is work. You're, you're expecting practice to be fun. Practice is work. You want to go to the gym. How many mornings do I crawl out of the bed? I'm like, ah, I got to go to the gym. I rarely roll out of the sack in the morning like, yippee, I'm going to go to the gym and sweat and feel awful. I can't, just can't wait to do that. That's part of practice. So when Paul tells us to practice hospitality, he's saying practice it when you don't feel like it. Be hospitable, or as we're going to look at a deeper word, we're going to say practice this in all times. So watch what the word, look at the words that come before those words practice hospitality in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, because this gives us the context. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You see, the context here is deeper than invite people to your home to be nice. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, of course. But what we're talking about are the needs of people. He specifies God's people in this passage, knowing Paul, if you put the whole picture together, he's talking about he would mean all people, meet the needs of all people around us, whether they're God's people or not God's people. But he's saying meet their needs. And when you meet the needs of people, these are not just shallow needs. Hey, can I help you with that grocery bag? The needs of people grow deep. The needs of human beings are, are cavernous. They're, they're, they are heavy. They're weighty. And when you think about the heavy weights of, of people, whether you're walking through someone who is grieving or going through a divorce or has lost a child or lost a job or lost hope or lost dimension or lost self-dignity, whatever that thing is, those of you that have walked through that understand that, that when he says meet people's needs, this is, not a shallow, this is not a shallow challenge in practicing those things. Most people that I help, quite frankly, it's, it comes at an inconvenient time. I don't know about you. I, don't, I hope that you understand what, I, what I'm saying by that. doesn't mean that I don't want to do it, but never do I'm just sitting around like, you know what? I don't have anything. I don't have a thing to do uh, on my, you know, on my first day back to work. I didn't schedule anything from nine to, you know, four this afternoon. And boy, I'm just kind of waiting by my phone to see if there's any needs that roll in. Does anybody live that way? Of course not. Usually when someone calls you, you have to give something up in order to help somebody. And so let me, if you would, play on the word hospitality because I kind of want to etch-a-sketch that from your mind because it's so ingrained as to what we think of hospitality. So when you look at the word hospitality, well, the answer is already up there. Uh, You see the word hospital. So today I'm going to play on a word for teachers. I'm sorry, this is grammatically incorrect, but um, just bear with me. 
Today we're going to not talk about practicing hospitality, but to the context and the intent, we're going to talk about practicing hospital. Practicing hospital. Because the word hospitality originally, when you look at the origin of the word, is closely tied to hospital or hospice. And that's where we really get the word, and that's what's really happening. So I thought as we close this this conversation and this collection about practicing, now I want you to think about God. God is constantly, consistently practicing hospital. He's always practicing in such a way that he is reaching our deepest needs, the needs that sometimes are unspoken, the needs that nobody knows about, the needs that you'd be embarrassed to talk about perhaps, the needs that two men would be ashamed to talk about because we're men, we're guys, we're cave people, we're still cavemen to a degree. Those needs that in your darkest moments, in your most quiet, alone moments that you're willing to say, God, nobody knows about this, but right now I need hospital. Jesus, I need a physician. I need you to do a work in me that no one else can do right now. And then when we reach uh, that level of safeness in in, in our relationships with other people, then we say to others, and we say, I need some hospital right now. I need you to be in that level of meeting a need with me, to walk through with me. And that is a beautiful moment of transparency that can happen. So I want to just take some observations today about hospitals, some things that are consistent with hospitals that never, ever change. That's practice. You see, Sarasota Memorial or Doctor's Hospital or whatever hospital is your local hospital, you can count on the things that we're going to talk about this morning. I find that 100% of the time, they're, they're here. And we're going to look at a figure who I believe practiced hospital. There are many figures in the Scripture that practice hospital, This one today, we're going to look at Abraham and some of the intersections of his life where he practiced hospital. Here's the first thing I notice about hospitals. They're open 24-7. Have you noticed that? They're they're open 24-7. They're available. The emergency room is always open. Can you imagine? Just for a second. Man, you're going to the emergency room. I've been to the emergency room three times in my life late at night. I mean, maybe, and uh, there's some good reasons for that, some not so good reasons for that. And, and, and when I've gone, I, there was never a time in my mind as I was racing to the hospital. One of the times was my wife, she was having her second child. For those women who have taken, you know, three days in labor, I'm, I'm about to say I'm sorry because my wife does it in about three and a half hours. Both of our children, man, it's like, hey, it's go time. I'm like, okay, well, let me get my things go. No, it's go time. You know, I'm running the red lights. That's how we've operated. And so uh, she has she has borne two children, and they've both been within an eight-hour working day. So uh, so we, we were getting, man, we were rushing to the hospital. We were running every red light. I mean, we were doing that routine. And I never, ever wondered in my mind, gee, I hope they're open. Because there are a lot of places I go, right? You go to a place, like, gosh, I hope they're still open. I hope I didn't miss it. Because a hospital is always available. See, when we practice hospital, what we're saying is it may be inconvenient. It may be like the most inconvenient time 
but I'm going to practice hospital. Do you see the difference between hospitality? When our minds, it's more healthy. So you might remember Abraham and, and part of his life. This is a little bit more of an obscure uh, incident in his life, so you, you may not be familiar. But Abraham, we were told, and one day, was sitting at the edge of his tent. And it was, we're told it was that the heat of the day. So let me use the word sweltering. It's in the Middle East. It's probably in the summer, in the heat of the day. And it's probably awful. There is no air conditioning. There's no Columbia shirts to keep you cool. There's no ice water. There's no refridge. There's no freezer. There's no popsicles. There's nothing. In that culture, the heat of the day meant, man, I'm just going to be kind of still, lethargic, because it's hot and I'm not moving. Three people show up. At that point, these visitors, he did not quite know who they were. Another story for another day. It's a very deep part of the Scripture. We think that Jesus showed up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the, Old, in the New Testament. He, he showed up other times in the Old Testament. This is one of them. I'll leave that for another day. These three visitors come. He didn't quite know who they were. And I want you to see how Abraham practiced hospital. Now, remember... These guys, in his mind, have been walking for miles. It's at the heat of the day. He himself is panting and sweating and thirsty. Watch his reaction because it will teach us how to practice hospital. Genesis chapter 18, if you want to turn there. I'm going to hover here for just a little bit. Genesis chapter 18. Abraham sitting at the edge of his tent in the heat of the day. Genesis 18, verse 2. Abraham looked up, saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, I want you to watch the, the, the verbs. I've underlined them for you if you look at the screen. He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. Now, there, there may have been reasons. He might have said, boy, these guys are different. They, you know, but I want you to see that there was an immediate servant that sprang into place. It's like, jeez, oh, what are these people doing here? But, you know, I've only got a little bit of water, and just, gosh, he hurried to them. He's teaching us how to practice hospital. I have rushed into, when we rushed in with my wife and said, it's time, it's time. Boy, I'm telling you, no one was lethargic. No one was lethargic. I'll never forget that our youngest boy about a year and a half ago we had to call 911 because he had a, an asthma attack. He was just as pale as a sheet. He was throwing up in the front yard. They said, wait by the curbside. I was so desperate for them to show up. And they, were, they became my heroes. They were young. They were in their 20s. And they drove up in that, that ambulance. And there was nothing lethargic about them whatsoever. Why? Because they were practicing hospital. They were trained to practice hospital. And man, they were throwing stuff. They got all the, you know, the, the oxygen now. I mean, they were moving like lightning. And I sat there as a person in deep need, greatly thankful that someone cared. You see, there are people around us who are waiting for us not to be lethargic, to be who we say we are, to practice hospital, to hurry 
That's exactly what he did. He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought. Then let me, that, that, that you may wash your feet and you rest. Stay right here. Refresh yourself. And let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your servant. You see, let me address the team that we're going to Cuba we're going to walk in and we're going to bow low. We're going to be servants. We're going to be servants to them because it's our privilege to serve them. It's our privilege to be there. Whoever God has put in your life, it's your privilege to serve them because this is who God has called us to be. Listen, because this is who God is. All we're doing is picturing the hurriedness of God. Can you imagine praying, God, I can't take it no more. And God says, I'll get around to it when I can. I'm kind of busy. You know, I got 7 billion people I'm taking care of here. A little busy. You know, my schedule is just a little tight. Can you imagine worrying and wondering if God were like that? You see, when I go to God, I never, ever wonder if he's available. How about you? Do you ever wonder that? Gosh, he's got to be busy. I mean, knows the names of the stars. You got to keep up. Like, whoop, there's one. Ted just fall, fell, or Bob, whatever he's called, the stars. <laughs> I got all these stars. I got galaxies. I got to keep the whole thing together. I got planets, and, uh, you know, I've got, and uh, what are we up to? 114 planets here in this guy. <laughs> we keep finding more planets. I, I got human beings. I got, you know, I, I got to keep, but I've never wondered if the emergency room of Jesus Christ is closed. And God said, that's who I want you to be. When people call you, I don't want, you to, I don't, I don't want them to ever wonder if you're not going to refresh them, if you're going to give them some living water so that they can go on their way. This was who Abraham was. He was so, now watch what happens in verse 6. So Abraham, here it is again, he hurried into the tent of his wife Sarah. And what, first word, quick, quick, get three sayas of fine flour. I looked it up. What's, what, what in the world is a saya? It's about five gallons of flour. That's a lot of biscuits where I come from. <laughs> he didn't go in and say, hey, have we got a Tootsie Roll? Have we got any old Halloween candy we can give away? He probably gave his best out in the middle of nowhere in the heat of the day. He said, hey, Hurry up, Sarah, get five gallons of five and flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected the best, the choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare. The whole place was racing around about like a bunch of ants over three people he never met. This is practicing hospital. Verse eight, then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set them before him. And he said, man, can I take the first bite? He was a servant. And while they ate, he stood back and let them enjoy the labor of all that. You get it? This is practicing hospital. Now, listen, I understand fully well, full well that 
there are times where you're like, man, I, I got to take a break. Jesus did. It's okay. You can take a break. I've had to convince myself that all the time. Hey, Steve, you can take a break, bro. But even when Jesus was on break, he seemed to be on call. Did you notice that? Have you ever noticed when he got away, people came still ringing his doorbell? And there was rarely a time he said, hey, I'm too busy, man. I'm sorry. I'm too tired. He said, okay, let's get, let's get back to it. He took time out, but he was always on call. And one of the times I went to um, uh, the emergency room, I was passing a kidney stone. And uh, I am uh, typically a, a somewhat of a calm person in, in real life. I was not calm in that moment, especially when they asked for my insurance card. You know what I'm talking about when you're like in agony? Hey, can I see your insurance card? Let's get a little data going here. And so I began to pound the wall because the pain was so incredibly intense. And then they got the idea, oh, this is not just a regular patient here. This guy's just not kind of walking in, you know, and I was just screaming, which was, again, quite unusual for me except on Sunday mornings. And so I, I, I was, I, I'm like, oh, please, please. And they, they gave me this, this drug, whatever, and, um, and it just, you know, I, it felt like syrup, you know, just kind of relaxing my body. I'm like, hey, do you guys have, like, take-home bags? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Totally kidding. I felt so cared for. But in that moment of need, man, you will never forget that person. You'll never forget it. You see, when I look at this, I look at Abraham. And you know what? Here's the irony about a hospital. They're both patients and personnel in the same place. You see, in the church, we're all broken. Sometimes we say, I can't help anybody, man. You have no idea how I'm broken. I mean, you think Abraham was perfect? You don't th- Read the story. Abraham was a liar at times. Abraham screwed up. He, he, he put his wife in jeopardy a, a couple of times. There are times where I'm like, Abraham, come on, man. He was both a patient and personnel at the hospital. So if you tell yourself, I can't be available because I'm, I'm so broken, I, I, I really can't do it. Man, d- convince yourself otherwise. God uses patience to be personnel at hospitals. Let me say another thing. I want you to imagine the readiness that Abraham had. I want you to imagine that being God's church on Sunday morning. Would to God that we would have more, uh, uh, more patience and, and more Uh, 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 people coming on a Sunday morning that were prepared. I didn't come just for myself. I came prepared to look, to listen. People coming to small groups to look, to listen, say, hey, who is in my group that needs hospital today? Who is in this church right now that needs hospital today? I probably hear more of it because I'm the pastor and people come to me. But I promise you, across this room, there are plenty of people that need hospital. It just takes some time for us to give our best to listen. I don't care if you're 14 years old or you're 84 years old. It makes no difference. We are all in need of a hospital. We're always, always, always available. Somebody just told me, just a couple of weeks, Rocky, somebody wants to get in your group. They, it's a group that of those who are, are focusing on the, the challenges of addiction and uh, uh, that have come through it, that are maybe struggling with it, that are affected in, in one way or the other, maybe a family member. 
And he wanted to get in your group, not just to be a patient, but to be part of the solution. I've been through it before. And I want to be part. I want to, maybe I have a voice. I'm like, you're darn right you got a voice. There's somebody in that group that's going to need a hospital. Would to God. Would to God that we would enter our group time with that mindset rather than, I'm not sure if I'm going to get anything out of it. You know what I'm talking about? It's a whole different mindset when you practice hospital. Here's another thing I've noticed about hospitals. There's no partiality. Have you noticed that? You walk in the emergency room, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, everyone is welcome in the emergency room. Whether you're rich, you're, you're wealthy, you're middle class, you're poor, you're homeless, everyone is welcome in the emergency room. And this is hospital. This is what Paul is saying, practice impartiality. Practice in such a way that you look like God. Can you imagine in your wildest dreams, God, I'm in need of hospital. I'm sorry you're white. I'm sorry you're old. I'm sorry, Steve, you're over the hump, dude. You're 57. I'm sorry you're 12. Can you imagine? Someone calling out to God. It's not in our mind, is it? We think of God. He, he, he's not being partial against our age, our race, our gender. Jesus proved it over and over. He broke the culture of partiality. He came and, he, and, and you know, women were not treated fairly and equally in that culture. And in fact, you remember, he was sitting with the well, the woman at the well, and, and, and uh, the disciples had gone to get some food. You remember when they came back? What are you doing sitting with a woman? What are you talking to her for? You remember the, the, the lady that was caught in adultery? You remember? That's a, it's a miraculous story. She was caught in an adultery, and I guess she, you know, she, she was brought out to be stoned. And so uh, the, the miracle of that story is how do you commit adultery with one person? Think about it. In other words, where was the guy? They didn't bring the guy forth to, to get stoned, to be killed. They brought the woman. It shows you where it is. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to break that. I'm going to be sitting here, and I'm going to embrace women. You know the first ones to carry the message of the resurrection? It wasn't the head hot dog, Peter. Jesus said, I'm choosing. I'm going to show you how impartial I am. Remember when kids came and wanted to talk to Jesus? Hey, get them out of here. It's Reverend Jesus. What are you doing? They're going to get like, you know, like a lollipop stain on his robe. I don't know, whatever they were thinking. Like, he said, no, are you kidding? Let the little children come to me. Come on. Let's have a children's sermon. You remember that? A Samaritan. What are you doing, Samaritan? Watch this. Luke, Mark chapter 2, verse 14. As Jesus walked around, along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. That's a place where people didn't, you know, gather. It was an off place. It was a place of partiality. It's a place that people judged. Oh, you're that. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were having a party. Let's party with Jesus. And we're eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who came to this party. This party, this house was packed out with tax collectors and sinners. 
And when the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with those people? Partiality is part of our culture. Read, you've read Facebook. You've heard of Facebook, have you not? Put your political stance on Facebook and see how warm and fuzzy it gets. There's partiality in this country. There's partiality with racial divides and political divides and economic divides and gender divides and gender orientation divides. I mean, there are, there's partiality and what Jesus is saying, hey, break it like I did. Break it like I did. And practice hospital because everybody is welcomed in the emergency room. God, the great, awesome creator, is impartial. Watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. The Lord, your God, is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who would have every right to be partial, who shows no partiality and accepts no brides. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, giving him food and clothing, and, and, and you are to love those who are patients, who are aliens, for you yourself were an outsider. You read it, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4. We were outside, and God said, come on in. And God reminds us, hey, you too were in the emergency room. You too came to the emergency room. Don't you ever treat someone else as an outsider. That's hospital. So Abraham looks to a town that no Christian, no follower of God would have even brought up in a conversation. You know the cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And because he was practicing hospital, he went to the Lord and said, hey, aren't there some? Aren't there some there we can, we can reach to? God, desperate. Do you think they're 50? You hear the desperation in Abraham's voice because he was practicing hospital because he knew the cities were going to be under absolute destruction. Can't we save 50? Can't we save 40, 30, 20, 10? This was a man practicing hospital. Final point. It's a sobering point. It's a sobering point about hospitals. See, when we think of hospitals, we think of healing. We think of medicine. We think of hope. When we go to the hospital, we have hope. But the final point in the hospital, if you're really going to be real about hospital, we're really going to talk about hospital and just say, let's not just be churchy about this, but let's be real. Here's the reality of hospital. Not everybody makes it. Not everybody makes it in a hospital. My parents had moved to Florida. We had lived here for years. Circumstances, my father traveled back up to Virginia, had a car accident, was killed. They took him to the hospital where he died. It was a hospital ironically, that I was born in. The hospital I was born in was a hospital in which my father died. Today, on, on the corner of Waldemere and 41, at that hospital, people will die. 
and people will be born. And such is the reality of the kingdom. And such is the reality of church. That there have been people sitting in this room right now, I'm looking out, who found life here, who found birth here, who found a second birth, who've come alive in Christ. And there's some people who've come and gone and they, and they, they, they didn't make it for one reason or the other. There are times, there are people sitting right here and you're listening to my voice. You're exploring God. God gives you a choice to either live or to not live. There is no in-between. To live spiritually, to embrace Christ, to know that Christ died for your sins, that he came and laid himself on a cross for you, that whatever mistakes and failures and sins that you've ever committed and ever, ever done in your life, that Christ said, let me take those on. And on the cross, all of your sins, miraculously and mysteriously, were dumped on a substitute Savior. His name was Jesus. And Christ says, all you have to do, you don't have to work your way to me. I just, by faith, reach out and say, I will depend completely on what Christ did on the cross and not on my good works or good behavior. I'm going to completely lean, 100% depend on Christ, and I accept that. But the reality is that there are many men and women who come through this room on any given weekend who say, no thanks, and the decision is perilous. And for those in, our, in the faith, those moments are challenging and difficult. There are times in our own experience in a tribe where those people get angry for an assortment of reasons, and they say, I'm out. It happened in the Scripture. You read Third uh, uh, John. It happened in Paul's life. It happened in Moses' life. I'm out. And it can shake the boat of those who are in the faith. That's hospital. See, I admire those who work in a hospital so much for many reasons. But one of the things that just is mind-blowing for those of you are that, that work in hospitals and, 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 and such the thing that I admire so deeply is that you keep going no matter what happens. I'm sure that you've had patients who didn't make it. You've had patients who've refused treatment. I had, a, um, I had this relationship with uh, the pastor's uh, daughter. Good grief, I almost said the pastor's wife. When I, like, Lord, help me. With the pastor's daughter... When I first became a Christian, she was older and it was just, it was totally platonic, I promise. But even, I mean, she was single, it wouldn't matter. Uh, anyway, <laughs> rabbit trail. Anyway, but <laughs> she became, she was like uh, the, the man, poster child for Jesus, hippie Jesus, guitar, flower. I mean, she was just, she loved the Lord so much. She got cancer. She said, no thanks to treatment. And she died in a hospital. It happens. We go to those in the body of Christ sometimes. We say, hey, i got to warn you. I've got to talk to you about some very difficult things. As if we're saying, i got some bad news. You have cancer. And if an oncologist says you have cancer, I, think I would suggest the last thing you do is get mad at the oncologist. But in my chair, there are times where I'm like, I've got to speak some truth to you. And it's about half and half. Half it goes well, thank, man, thanks for pointing that out, and half that says, you know what, I'll, let me tell you where you can put that. 
and then they don't make it. And I'm telling you, for the leaders sitting in the room, that is challenging to keep going. In fact, look at this verse in Titus verse 3, verse 10. Uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn a second time, and after that, you got to have nothing to do with them. That's not a person just having to cross you or say the wrong thing. A person that has a pattern of offending people over and over and over and over and causing that divisiveness. It is our job, our very difficult job as leaders to go and say, I've got to warn you here, and I've got to be really serious. And it's very difficult for someone when you, as a leader, when you have to step up and courage and say, man, I've got to talk to you about something and say, you know what? I'm going to fight it. I'm gone. Not everybody makes it. Not everybody that you share Christ with will make it, and that's difficult. And so I'm encouraging you that part of hospital, part of the admiration that we have for those workers, those emergency workers, those doctors, those nurses, those attendants in an emergency room is is they keep going. You see, Abraham looked at Lot's wife and, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It must have been so clenching for him. And yet he kept going, and that's what hospital is also about. We have to think that we have to focus our attention on those who are willing to say, hey, you know what? I need Christ. I need Christ. In that same passage in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus was being criticized with hanging out with sinners, Here's Jesus' response. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For those who say, I'm broken, man. Hey, Steve, sometimes you know you you, you need to do this. Thank you, because I'm broken. That's the response. Thank you. I'm broken. I'm the patient. Thank you for letting me know. Thanks for having the courage. Thanks for being a good enough friend to be truthful with me. Thank you for that, because I've not come to call the people that think they got it all together who are going to defend themselves, but sinners, you see. In our church, we have, we encourage what we call primary receivers. Primary receivers are, in in American football, are those, when the quarterback gets the ball, he's got, he can, he's got a lot of options to pass, but he's looking at that one receiver, and we kind of use as an analogy for those who we're sharing Christ with. We share Christ with other people, but we have that one person that we say, man, they're going to receive my prayer. They're going to receive more time. They're going to receive the gospel from me, and we pray. How many of you, just by show of hands, have a primary receiver in you? Hold them up. I just want to see. Good. A number of you. Yeah. My primary receiver has lived in my neighborhood for 15 years. He died yesterday. He died yesterday. He had cancer, and they were treating it. They did some operations. Things looked like they were promising. And, um, and it went downhill very quickly in the last two weeks. And I got the call uh, late on a Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night. He's in hospice. I was tired, man. I'll be honest with you. It was a long day. I'm like, hey, big boy, time to practice what you preach. I got in the car. I went to hospice. They're open 24-7. I called them. 
I said, are you open? I think if you work there. Think about God. Hey, you open? Like, what a stupid question. Of course we're open. Hey, are you open? Oh, yeah, we're open 24-7. Come on over. That's what they said. We're open 24-7. Come on over. I stood by his bedside. I began to say his name. Nothing. Unconscious. Just bothered. Bothered in my soul. Listen. We're playing for keeps here. We're playing for keeps. Why are you passionate, Steve? Because we're playing for keeps. It's not a game. So bothered through the night. I woke up early Thursday morning. I'm like, I'm going back. I'm going to break protocol. I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to, try to awaken him or arouse him. And I, is this one of those moments like, was that an angel? I'm standing in the, in the room. I'm like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And this guy walks in with this really large dog. Hey, what you doing? I'm like, it's my friend. He goes, you want to wake him? I looked around, he was gone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That'd be a neat part of the story. Didn't happen. He tried to say his name uh, loudly. And uh, nothing. Deep breathing, nothing. He, he said, oh, well, he walked out of the room. Just a quiet, gentle soul. Just, just a feel, man. You know, sometimes you get a radar feel like, wow, that was something. It's like a message. I got this close from his face. I took his shoulders. I, I called his name. I called his name. His eyes opened and locked right into mine. I knew in my, I knew in my mind, this is it. It's my last shot. I said, I've come today to tell you I love you and to tell you that Jesus Christ died for you. And I'm hoping that you can hear what I'm saying and that you that if you that you want that you should know that Christ is waiting for you right now to accept them and I'm going to pray I'm talking about like this level I didn't care I didn't care what others might think cuz we're playing for keeps and I'm going to pray out loud and I want you and if you can pray in your heart with me this is the time to accept Christ and he was muttering. I don't know what he was muttering. I, I'd, I'd like to stand here today and say to you, oh, he said the sinner's prayer. But he was muttering as I prayed. And I have to give it to God. But I want you to know that I'm practicing hospital. Because in a hospital, not everybody makes it. It changes my nervousness about Cuba. It changes my nervousness about bringing up the faith. It changes all of that, listen, because hospital ain't about me or you. We are in a kingdom, and God calls us to be available all the time, in season and out of season, to be impartial like God is. And to understand that this is a game for keeps, that not everybody makes it. 
now. How about practicing hospital? Father, God, I pray you'll awaken us to truly get over ourselves, if I were just to say it honestly, me included. To know, God, that this lifetime is not about us. It's not about our meeting our needs, our spiritual needs, refreshing ourselves, God, but it's to be a servant who's willing to hurry, a servant who's willing to bow down, a servant who is ready to be on call at an inconvenient time. Forgive us, God, if we've been safe. Forgive us, God, if we've been calculating in our time and not gracious with it. God, forgive us if we've been impartial toward people who are older than us, people younger than us, people of a different gender, people of a different political stand, people of a different gender orientation, people that are of a different shape and size, whatever it may be, God. Forgive us for looking down on the tax collectors as we've deemed them to be. Help us to be more like Jesus, God, who sat at the table with everybody. And finally, God, oh, sometimes we need your word to wake us up, and we're playing for keeps. God, this is a kingdom mission. It's not about us, our fears, our, our worries. so nervous sometimes, God, to bring up the gospel. Would you please, please forgive us for that? And help us to realize, God, that some people make it and some others don't. And that we have to keep moving, moving ahead. I pray, God, today, finally here, for those sitting in this room that say, man, I need hospital right now. God, help us not to be blind. God, we're sometimes the hospital of the church, we blow it. We, we overlook people that are hurt, and God, you know, that's, in, that's uh, sometimes we just make those mistakes. But God, today, we don't want to make that mistake. And we want to, uh, just as we, before we leave and get in our cars, just want to ask in this crowd in the prayer, I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, I need Jesus. Just plain and simple. I need Jesus. I am a sinner. I have never come to Christ before. I don't even quite know what that means, but I understand God has illuminated my mind and my heart today to know that I need a Savior. And that Jesus died. I just say to you again, Jesus died for you. He is your He wants to be your Savior. He is awaiting. He's waiting for you to say yes to him. And so as awkward as it is sometimes for me to put that out, wonder if anybody's going to respond, I'm not going to, it's not about me. 
And it's not about, it's truly not about being embarrassed. So if you're sitting in this room, everybody's praying except me, I'm looking around the room. Would you, if you say, I need Jesus today, I'm not gonna, not gonna, you know, make it flowery or anything. I need Jesus today. Would you, you wanna slip your hand up? I wanna pray for you privately. I'm not gonna point you out. Anybody sitting in this room that would raise their hand in prophecy right now, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. Anybody else? I just like to wait so I'm not missing anybody. Nope. I do. This is not pressure. It's just waiting. Anybody else that would say, I need Jesus. Now, Father, thank you for this person that raised their hand. And if that is you, we're not pointing you out, but you just pray in your heart, Jesus, I need you. And by faith, by faith, not by works, not anything I can bring my good behavior, but God, I reach out to you right now and I accept Christ as my Savior. And I invite Christ into my life and I'm exchanging my old life for Christ's new one. And I completely, completely depend on the finished work of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and new life. God, thank you for, for this intersection and for those that are praying in this room. Father, we love you. We need you, God. And uh, we want to be more like you and picture you to the world. So help us all, Father, to practice hospital. In the name of our great physician, Jesus Christ. Amen.